The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I am honored and delighted to welcome my guest, my friend and a colleague, a fellow dietitian, Diana Dyer. Diana has had a 35-plus year career as a registered dietitian. She's an award-winning dietitian, and we only have 30 minutes, so I'm not going to list all of those awards, but she's based just outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and she was named Michigan's Dietitian of the Year. Her focus for many years had been on oncology nutrition, and she's got a book called A Dietitian's Cancer Story, which has been reprinted 14 times since it was first published in 1997. But what we're going to be focusing on today is a change in her career, which led her to being a new farmer based, as I said, just outside Ann Arbor, Michigan, where she and her husband have started the Dyer Family Organic Farm, where she raises over 40 varieties of certified organic garlic. The farm's vision statement is shaping our future from the ground up. And she says, becoming a farmer is an opportunity to become a true frontline healthcare provider. In other words, those farmers who promote community health and wellness by first preserving or rebuilding the structure and fertility of their soil, in addition to growing great tasting healthy food to nourish that community. She's just published a new collection of recipes called Get Going with Great Garlic, Recipes from Your Garlic Farmer's Kitchen, which we'll be talking about. But Diana has also done something that's truly unique in that she has started a school-to-farm program, which I wish as a young dietitian I had had this opportunity, but she is bringing dietetic students to her farm, taking them from the classroom, bringing them to the farm to understand the relationship between our soil and how we grow our food and on our health. So, Diana, without further ado, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here, Melinda. Well, I guess I should start by asking you how you got from being a dietitian to being a farmer. I I guess I know a little bit of the inside story in that you always wanted to farm, and I happen to know that your first date with your husband had to do with some weeding some green beans. But something prevented you from being a farmer when that's really where your heart was. What was that? That's true, and both my husband and I actually seriously came close to dropping out of our respective graduate school programs in the mid-70s to become farmers then, simply because of the very practical aspect that as a childhood cancer survivor, I could already see that I was going to have multiple medical problems going forward related to the cancer therapy that was, you know, that did cure my childhood cancer, and that I knew we were going to need full-time, Cadillac-level health care. And we needed to have that through some aspect of the corporate world. And it did prevent us that very logical, very practical need from actually simply, quote-unquote, being farmers who would not have access to health care that I would need. And so it put off our farming dreams for 
decades, actually. And we both went on to have wonderful careers within the healthcare community. We enjoyed what we did. It was very intellectually stimulating and satisfying, very meaningful. But there came a time in our life when we did look at each other and thought, can we go back to our original dream? And here we are, you know, to make it short and simple. We looked at each other and thought, we're as young as we're ever going to get today. If we're going to have a farm, we'd better get going. And it took several years to figure out where we were going to do it, what we were going to do. This is not an overnight decision, you know, to actually find land, to make the connections, and to actually get it going. And we bought our land in 2009 and started our farm right away before we even started repairing the house on the farm and we're at the farmer's market in May of 2010, where our, our very first crop is old, new farmers. And you sell your garlic at two farmer's markets, is that right? Actually, we're at three farmer's markets now, and they run the gamut from a farmer's market where a full third of our income comes from food assistance coupons of all kinds of programs, from WIC to Double Up Bucks to Prescription for Health to elder or it's like senior fresh, all kinds of food assistance programs to farmers markets where people pay half dollar right cash out of their pocket. Yeah. Well you've got a beautiful farm. I should let our listeners know that. I've had the the I've been very truly lucky and blessed to be able to visit that farm. But you truly are a healthcare provider still. In fact, even more so in that you've made that connection, that vital connection in understanding how we treat our soil and therefore how that impacts our water and our land and air and ultimately our food. What were some of the revelations that you've had on your farm? Well, initially when we first turned our soil, you know, I mean, just to sort of look at it and feel it and even taste it, and of course we sent it off to Michigan State to have it analyzed, what are the nutrients that are in it, How what's the organic matter, on a very simple macro level, there were literally no earthworms when we first looked at the soil that we were going to start using. And the earthworm, if you can sort of envision a soil food web, the earthworm is the equivalent of the lion on the savanna. I mean, it is the top guy in a food web, but for the soil food web, well, there were none. And the organic matter, at, when the testing came back from Michigan State, was very low, like 1%, maybe less. Within the five years that we've now had this farm, and our sole focus has been improving the health and the fertility of the tilth of the soil itself, we actually call ourselves soil farmers who happen to grow garlic, we've increased the organic matter well above 5 to 5%, almost 6%, Michigan State actually has told us we have the highest organic matter of any any organic farm that they've ever tested, and that all July we've had people on the farm helping us volunteer to harvest our garlic, and I can't count the number of times people have said, oh my goodness, I have never seen so many earthworms. Oh my goodness, look at this one. Look how big this one is. Well, here's five over here. And, you know, this is right there on the, you know, in the, the top of the food chain and the top of the, the various soil layers. Here they are just really thriving. And what that represents is, of course, the massive amount of the biomass, the, the life that is underneath the earthworm. They're just the top guy, you know, and they wouldn't be surviving if there wasn't a truly healthy food system um, underneath. So what had been produced on the farm before you took ownership? 
30 years ago, this was a pumpkin farm. I and, see. Yeah, and that was it. You know, I mean, year after year after year after year after year, you know, it was a pumpkin farm. And then this land got sold off into, like, housing lots. And then it was just simply um, turned into grass. And it went through, uh, basically, the the one tiny little flat area that had been, I suppose, reserved or sort of cultivated as a soccer field, you know, for the kids who lived here. Actually, you know, it was just grass. It was, you know, horrible grass to get rid of. I mean, just fertilized with synthetic fertilizers and, you know, I mean, all kinds of things to just keep it green and lush. And that's what we started with. It was basically green, lush grass and lifeless soil. Wow. And in six short years, really, yes. you've had yes. a, a miraculous transformation. And except it has come with very intentional planning and hard work and quite an investment on our part in terms of cover crops. So each field that we've opened up to actually plant our garlic in, we're on a four-year rotation around the farm. Each field gets anywhere from like three to five, sometimes six cover crops in a year before it goes into production that are all tilled back down into the soil to increase the organic matter, but more importantly, to actually provide food for the microbes and the whole soil food web that then can build up and access minerals and other nutrients that then can move into our food. And Mm -hmm. so I tell our students, it's not a miracle. It's not magic. To optimize nutrients getting into our food, we need this whole soil food web down below that we can't see that are just transferring nutrients back and forth and back and forth as they eat each other and ultimately are transferring it up to the actual system that allows an active transport into the food that we eat. Mm-hmm. I think every dietitian needs to spend time with a dietitian who is also a farmer and to really connect these dots. So I am so in awe of what you're doing and so grateful that you're doing it because ultimately you're improving the profession as it will be in the future. Well, these students who come to our farm actually don't want to leave. It's yeah. really sweet. And to be honest, they feel like maybe I should warn them ahead of time that, number one, they don't want to leave, and number two, I will want to adopt them. So <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> both warn their parents and warn their faculty that, you know, perhaps they're not coming home. But, yes, I push them out of the nest because they are now the leaders. They're the leaders for our profession, and I urge them to understand that they are the leaders, that they understand that, and that the time that they're with me, yes, I'm, you know, we're trying to transfer knowledge about the soil connection to food and then to health, but also to give them the language and the confidence to be able to articulate this among their peers and, you know, among the, the larger community also. The larger community of health professionals, especially. And, you know, I think, Diana, another thing that you're doing is you are showing them, by example, how food is really about relationships on so many levels. You know, the relationship with the soil microbes, the relationship between two human beings, the relationship of the food and our health. So, Again, I think what you're doing is truly remarkable. But we have to get on because I've got more questions for you. And I know that they probably ask your students when they come, and maybe even some of your customers at the farmer's market, why did you bother to become certified organic? That's actually an easy question to answer, and it never occurred to us to not become certified organic. 
from the very beginning when we wanted to have our farm in the 70s, this is exactly how we wanted to do it. We wanted to really optimize the ecosystem on our farm, and we wanted to only use processes and practices that did nothing to harm any other living creature on our farm because we wanted to you know, build or at least protect and enhance the ecosystems and that the organic certification process, which came into being well after we had first wanted to farm, basically hits all those high notes and in terms of the practices that it requires in order to become certified. And while there may be some record keeping that is required in order to actually show a certifier what you're doing and that there's some cost involved to actually sign on the dotted line, so to speak, none of those are outside the reach. First of all, they're not rocket science, and they're not outside the reach of any careful farmer, and they're not outside the reach of any farmer who's actually doing this as a business. And and, of course, the Farm Bill of the Farm Act of 2000 or Agricultural Act of 2014 reinstated all of the cost share reimbursement for every single state for sharing the cost of the organic certification. So all in all, it only costs us a couple of hundred dollars. I mean, it is really in the cost of doing business. It is nothing. It is a drop in the bucket, you know, the money that is flowing through this and our farm is a business. So that was just a very easy decision, but yet from a business perspective, from a farming perspective, but we did it also from a community perspective. We did this as a gift. To our community, and we wanted our community to have absolutely complete trust in what we were doing here and to know that they could come to our farm at any time and actually be able to see what we are doing and to feel completely comfortable with our practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bring up a very good point, and that is this issue of trust. And somebody may say, well, you know, I follow organic practices. I just don't want to do the paperwork. You know, they have lots of excuses of why they don't become certified organic. But really, the bottom line is it is an issue of trust. I don't want to have to be an interrogator when I go to the farmer's market. If someone's certified organic, I feel relieved in knowing I know exactly what you have to do to have that certification. Yes, I mean, I would agree with you. And we very proudly display our organic certification you know, the actual certificate and then the symbol for the certifying agency, which we use, which, you know, happens to be Oregon Tilth. I actually know of, you know, for some reason, other organic farms actually don't even display that. We want to display that because we look at it as a an education tool, yeah. you know, and it, for our community and for our customers. And we welcome questions about our organic certification and we're very, very happy to answer them. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are speaking with Diana Dyer. She is an award-winning dietitian who for decades focused her practice on oncology, cancer treatment, and prevention. And now she and her husband, Dick, have a beautiful farm, an organic farm where they produce over 40 varieties of garlic. I just want to add one thing, Diana, if I might, about the organic certification. It's something that you mentioned in Get Going with Great Garlic, where you describe, you know, how you got to be organic farmers. But that is the fact that USDA is counting you. USDA has recognized the fact that because you're certified, they know about you. Absolutely. We want to be a data point. It's our way of sort of like, I suppose, being 
I don't know, a little pushy, you know, yeah. <laughs> a little like standing up and speaking out. And we don't want to be hidden. And it's a way of giving the USDA, as I said, another data point to like plug into their, you know, how these decisions are being made about where research dollars go. And when, you know, 84% of people in the United States or families are now buying some organic food throughout the year, certified organic food, and yet still less than 1% of the total research dollars uh, distributed by the USDA are going to best practice for organic agriculture. We want to be part of the equation, part of the squeaky wheel, so to speak, that is going to be able to change that. And yes, slowly, slowly, you know, I mean, those funds to USDA or to organic practices are increasing, and I do understand there's more coming from the new farm bill but it's like the balance is not there yet and not only is the public demanding more us you know certified organic food it is the right thing to do for you know more reasons than we have time to talk about here and yet we need more research to actually help us decide you know what is best practice so that we're doing we're making our land as not not just making our land as capable of producing yield, but actually producing food with nutrients. And that's really where I would like to be involved with future research is doing test fields, you know, within our farming strategies that are going to be actually looking at difference in nutrient contents of, say, one variety of garlic that has been treated two entirely different ways, both organically, but to actually look at nutrient transfer and flavor, flavor, flavor flavor (laughs) and be able to take the research to that level and you can make change from within an organization or somehow you know make change from outside but I've chosen to make change from inside well as a consumer I want to thank you for making that decision we have I have to ask you about why you chose to grow garlic. And I know you've also got hops and honey on your farm. And I know that Dick is just a master chef and he also brews his own beer, but that's for another program. Okay. Why garlic? Why garlic? Oh, again, you know, I could talk a long time and it's a relatively easy decision because we both love food. We love flavor. And garlic is considered a flavor vegetable. It's, you know, not something you like eat as a green bean, you know, or have a serving of garlic on your plate like you would, you know, a serving of green beans. It adds flavor to everything. And so we actually did know from growing in our own community garden that there were multiple varieties of garlic. We were already in our own little tiny community garden growing over 10 varieties of garlic and running out of space to even rotate within our own community garden as to where to plant our garlic every year. And so it was sort of a natural as we looked to becoming old new farmers, uh, what are we going to do? So we, we already knew, at least on a small scale, how to grow great garlic. And so, well, let's ramp that up because we knew there were even more varieties. But importantly in this decision, because this was a very thoughtful decision, we didn't just like overnight, let's be garlic farmers and go do this. We actually did our market research. We went to multiple, multiple farmers markets to see what are people growing? Where is there an opening? Where is there a niche? Where could we come in as new farmers and add something to a farmer's market without coming in and being looked at as simply oh, here's another produce vendor, and have the other farmers potentially look at us as competition. We wanted to come in as something completely different that would complement 
everything that they were doing. And so by being a specialty farm and growing only garlic, and that is really the primary thing that we take to markets, we are allowing essentially people or encouraging people to shop with all the other farmers. Buy your garlic from us and then go get all the other ingredients that you need, you know, for your meal tonight or for the week, you know, from all of our other farmer friends. And for the most part, I would say, you know, really, you know, across the board, this has been very well received by the farming community because we are really here to raise all boats. You know, we are here to help grow the market, to encourage people to be at the market, to expand their knowledge. We see ourselves as food educators in addition to farmers. And so it became a natural for us to really, you know, bring all of this together based on our experience with cooking, our love of cooking, our, of course, my background in food and nutrition, and to bring it all together in that way, in a very unique way. Mm-hmm. We'll say one more thing. The deer do not eat it. And oh. so that, of course, is a major factor in is it something that we can grow and not have to, like, fence off the entire property to keep the deer out. That is a great point. Yeah. Well, in your new publication, which came out in June 2015, Get Going with Great Garlic, Recipes from Your Garlic Farmer's Kitchen, you have, in addition to recipes, some facts about garlic. And the, one of the things that you have in here that really surprised me was that the garlic in the grocery store, your typical garlic that you run out to buy, can be up to one year old and likely grown in China. Yes. Right from the USDA website, you can gather this information. Essentially, roughly 80% of garlic that is in your normal, typical grocery store, not your food co-ops, but your you know, your big grocery stores has been grown in China. It has been, varieties have been grown intentionally that can withstand storage in warehouses around the world and then withstand shipping in crates in the bottom of a boat as they chug along across the Pacific and then sit in the L.A. Harbor and then until someone unloads them and then sit in a truck and then another warehouse and by the time they actually get to your local grocery store and people buy futures in garlic just like everything else and release them at different times throughout the year depending on when they think they can get the best price and that is why your typical grocery store garlic maybe a full year old. I, you know, could actually talk about how it's grown and how it's treated in order to even get it into this country. But the the reality is that even though we have all become accustomed to this piece of vegetable that we buy in the grocery store as garlic, the flavor difference between what we now all think of as garlic, as grocery store garlic, compared to ours is just like night and day. It's not an exaggeration to say that our customers learn pretty quickly, especially the ones who really are learning to appreciate flavor in food that they simply can't go back to store-bought garlic. And so now we have a whole legion of customers who intentionally buy quite a bit of garlic from us in the fall in order to carry them through the winter. And, you know, they work with us. I mean, we don't store it for them. They take it home and store it themselves in, you know, the best storage conditions that they have. Um, We work with them and try to educate them about that because they tell us, you know, they're very cute. They say, you know, in so many words, you've ruined our life. We just cannot go back to store-bought garlic (laughs) (laughs) with a big smile on their face. And so it's like, you know, we, of course, enjoy hearing that. And then they go out and they market us to their friends and coworkers. Well, now tell me, since you mentioned storing the garlic, what is the best way to store garlic over the winter? To keep it simple, you say cool and dry. 
And so like the conditions that would be in a typical wine cellar would be perfect. We, of course, don't have one, you know, that's like a perfect wine cellar. But we have an unheated room in our basement that is definitely cooler than the rest of the house. It is dry. And, I mean, if you do need to put in a dehumidifier, you know, I mean, why not? You know, that's relatively, you know, pennies on the, the dollar in terms of what it actually costs. We don't need to do that, fortunately, in our basement, but some people might. And so cool, dry, and dark, definitely not in the refrigerator. What happens, I mean, it will store well in a refrigerator, but what happens the minute you bring it out of a refrigerator, that garlic, which is garlic is planted in the fall like a tulip bulb would be, so the minute you bring it out of the refrigerator, it now thinks that winter is over, spring has come, I must start growing, and boom, you know, it's like that's a biological trigger, and all kinds of enzymatic and hormonal reactions are now happening in that garlic plant, and it's going to deteriorate, or it's going to try to grow, which essentially is going to sap nutrients and structure from your garlic bulb, and, you know, it's it's going to deteriorate in terms of cooking capacity very quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just want to let our listeners know you also have in your garlic facts section that there are over 4,000 research articles in the National Institutes of Health Library exploring the health benefits of garlic, with the earliest cluster of articles coming in the mid-1940s evaluating garlic's antibiotic activity. So you really, again, food is medicine. Here you go. Now, something, though, that you do report in this booklet that I want to bring forth is, and it was John Milner's research. I remember learning it as well. But just so our listeners know, you want to crush garlic 10 minutes prior to using it in a recipe to help develop some of those beneficial compounds. Is that right? That's certainly what Dr. Milner's research showed, and I forget if he actually did it at Penn State or when he was with the National Cancer Institute, but the molecule that we recognize as garlic in terms of smell and taste and that has actual documented anti-cancer activity, antibacterial activity, etc., so the bioactive molecule that has been studied the most doesn't actually full, it's not there. It's, you know, it's not there in a good head of garlic. The precursors are there. It doesn't happen until you actually break through the, the cell walls of the intact garlic and suddenly now oxygen is in there and enzymatic reactions have started from precursor molecules to actually form this molecule, which is called allicin, that we all recognize that smell as garlic. I mean, as soon as you were to puncture a head of garlic, you're going to smell it. But to actually optimize the development of that molecule and the whole cluster of other molecules along with that that we may or may not have measured that will give optimal anti-cancer activity actually takes about 10 minutes to develop before you then heat it in a stir fry or you're throwing it in a hot, you know, chili or, you know, something like that. And then basically those enzymatic reactions are now stopped and what you're left with are, you know, molecules that will still have anti-cancer, you know, biological activity. Well, Diana, unfortunately, our time is up, but I want to let everyone know where they can find out more about your beautiful farm and to order this wonderful collection of not only recipes, but also these terrific facts that anybody who loves food nutrition would enjoy. So the website is www. DyerFamilyOrganicFarm.com. That's D-Y-E-R 
familyorganicfarm.com, and I'll make that link available on this radio's link. I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. I want to thank our listeners for joining us, and I want to thank you, Diana, for being my guest. We've been speaking again with Diana Dyer, award-winning registered dietitian, decades of clinical practice and expertise, now farming with her husband on the Dyer Family Organic Farm. Diana, thank you. It's been a pleasure.